I don't know who you come looking for today, but I come looking for the Lord today. I want to worship Him. I want to meet Him. I want to see Him. And you know what? He has revealed Himself in two very conspicuous, powerful ways through the person of His Son, Jesus, and that is the living Word, the incarnation, and then through this book. You say, this book, why is this book so special? Because God wrote it. All 66 books of canonical scripture, there they are, and God has revealed himself. So he's going to answer this prayer to open up the heavens and come down because he is going to speak to us through his awesome word. I hope you have your Bibles with you today. If not, we're going to print the text on the screen. And let me just say again, we're just thrilled that you're here today. And God bless you that are watching on the internet, as I know many, of, many people do and many people watch us on TV. We're grateful for that. And we're especially grateful for you guys that are here. I'd much rather preach to people that are here than, than people that are not here. I'm just grateful that, that you are here uh, today. So, Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading. Um, I'll tell you what, let's just begin in verse 18. Even though we looked at 18 through 21 last week, and it's going to catapult us right into verse 22. Now, we're in a series of messages, um, Jesus and the church. We've looked at... Uh, four or three and a half of these seven churches, and today we're going to complete the study of the church at Thyatira. Now, we are convinced that God wrote this book, and the word then was powerful and it was convicting, just like the word is today. It is powerful and convicting. The same Holy Spirit who illuminated those men of God to write this book is the same Holy Spirit who illuminates and inspires us to be able to read it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives. So excited about this message that God has emblazoned on my heart today because part of this text is, I mean, it's intense. I just want to ask you to put your spiritual seatbelts on and buckle up because there are some intense words, and the words come from none other than Jesus himself, all right, as he reveals this message to the beloved Apostle John, who's about 100 years of age, 95 years of age, around AD 100 as he receives these messages, these seven messages for those seven respective churches. And now we hear, here we are at the fourth one, and Jesus says uh, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like fine brass. Jesus says, I know, I am familiar with, I understand your works, love, service, faith, patience, and for your works the last are more than the first. Now, last week we noticed in verse 20, he said, however, or nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow, and that's, the, that's interesting to me, that the first people that Jesus holds accountable are, is this angelos and these leaders. He said, you guys have allowed something to happen in your church, and you are not exercising church discipline, and because of that, I have something against you. I have a few things against you, he said. You allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. We called that last week a corruption, and we called it compromise. And so these things were operative. These things were happening in the local church there at Thyatira. And Jesus said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. She did not change her ways. She did not change her mind. And so Jesus said, therefore, here are the ramifications. Here are the repercussions. And by the way, all sin is sin in the eyes of God, but there's something about sexual sin. And the Bible even says this in 1 Corinthians 6. There's something particular about this sexual sin, and God does, he does judge. 
And here it says in verse 22, he says, I will cast her into a bed. In the Greek, it just says bed. And uh, I, I think the, the sick, sick bed is a good, um, NIV, I think especially puts it in there, but it's, it's a good interpretation, if you will. But literally, it just says, I'm going to put her in the bed, which I think is a play on words. It's like Jesus is saying, where your activity takes place is where my activity is going to take place. So do y'all follow that okay? Where your sexual immorality is taking place in the bed, and by the way, that's where most of it happens is in the bed. And he says, I know what happens in the bed, and therefore I am going to render you in the bed, and I'm going to punish you for this. You said, the Bible does not say that. Jesus would never say something like that. Jesus is tender, meek, mild, and lowly, born in the little manger, and he's sweet. I want to tell you something. He's all of those things, and he's also God of very God. And he sees, and he understands, and he judges. And he's about to judge this woman, and it's not pretty. I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. Now, so that's a tautology. It's like a high mountain or a deep sea. A tautology is when you speak something that's very obvious. You say, kill death. What, what's so obvious about that? Jesus is underscoring the fact that he will render so severe a punishment as even to take the very life of those who are in the church, who are practicing this iniquity, unless they repent. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine. Now the antecedent for this doctrine is this, what I've called this Jezebelian kind of doctrine. It is full of seduction. It is full of compromise. It is full of come get you a little Jesus on Sunday and then just go sleep with whoever you want to in the world. Just go party and throw your hands in the air like nobody cares. It's okay as long as you come to my church and let me, the prophetess Jezebel, tell you how wonderful you are and that we can just go do whatever we want to do. And by the way, that is a very popular message promulgated in many pulpits. And it goes something like this. Live like you want to live. Just run to church on Sunday. Ask for forgiveness and then go back and live like you want to live. Well, that's, that is a brand of Christianity, but it's not the biblical brand of Christianity. So I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as who do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. Jesus equates depths of Satan with this Jezebelian corruption and compromise. He says the depths of Satan, as they say, and he said, I'm not going to put on you any other burden. Hang in there, but hold fast what you have until I come. And he who overcomes, he's talking now to the faithful believers there at Thyatira who do not acquiesce to her doctrine. They take a stand for righteousness. They take a stand for godliness. And Jesus says, those who overcome and keep my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I have also received from my Father." And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, akusate, let him hear, let him understand what the Spirit says uh, to the churches. Now, this is a message about ecclesiology. And there is a lot of Christology in this message, I understand, because Jesus is the one. He is speaking, and he's giving orders, he's giving commands, if you will, to the church there at Thyatira. And you cannot really appreciate and even practice Christianity without being in a local church. 
Now, I know that's a heavy statement, and I know there's a lot of people who disagree with that statement because they have a brand of Christianized, Americanized uh, Christianity that says, well, I, I can live for Jesus just like I want to live, and I'm, I'm not accountable to anybody, and, and I, I'm just going to practice Christianity with a Lone Ranger type of mentality. And you just can't do that. you got to be in community. You have to be in fellowship with other believers where we come together, hold one another accountable, preach the Word of God, take up our tithes and offerings, and encourage one another, rebuke one another, and build one another up. Here's a story, a true story about a man named Pacomius. Pacomius was converted to Christ and baptized in A.D. 315 in Thebes, Egypt. He was a military man. He was a soldier for Rome. And while he was marching and while he was under order, he met up with some believers in Thebes. They led him to Christ. And after he got out of the Roman army, he was baptized, and he began to study, basically to study for the ministry. And there was a man that he studied under, Palamon was his name. And Palamon had this very strict, religious, ascetic Christianity. And what he, mean, what he means by that is he would take these men of God and he would say, here's what you got to do. You got to get away from the world. You got to get away from anything that smacks of temptation. And you got to go out into the desert. You got to fast, pray, eat grass sleep on the floor, and just so deny your body and separate yourself from everybody so that you won't be contaminated with the temptations of this world. Simon, Simon Stylitz was one of his pupils. Simon Stylitz took Palamon's teaching to its fullest expression. True story. He built a pillar 60 feet in the air, and Simon Stylitz got up to that pillar and built a little home, and he lived there for 36 years. 36 years, 60 feet up in the air so he wouldn't be contaminated. You say, well, how did he eat? And how did he do his other business? It's called buckets, okay? His people would run up buckets to him, and, he, and so Pacomius is going, something's wrong about this. Something's wrong about this isolated Christianity that's not in community, that's not holding one another accountable, who's not building each other up. And this is what Pacomius said. I love this. He said, how can you learn to love if nobody's around? How can you learn humility if you live alone? How can you learn kindness or gentleness or goodness in isolation? How can you learn patience unless somebody puts yours <laughs> to the test? Amen. So the church, I love the church. I love being a part of this radiant, vibrant, growing New Testament church. And I'm, I'm going to preach this message today, and I want to encourage you with it. And by the way, as I read the text, you may not think there's a whole lot of encouragement, but there actually is. There's a lot of warning, but there's even more affirmation and blessing and bolstering those of us who are pursuing Christ in community and trying to please him. Now, Thyatira, remember, is about 40 miles uh, southeast of Pergamos. And when you come to Thyatira, it's not very spectacular. There's not a whole lot of praiseworthy qualities of Thyatira. It kind of pales into comparison to Smyrna, Pergamos, and Ephesus, the three preceding churches. But Thyatira has a couple of interesting things about it. Number one, it's where they began forming business trading guilds or trade unions, if you will, where the union would come together and form 
You say, I thought that was just a recent, uh, a recent uh, invention. No, it's not. It's been around at least since the time of Thyatira. They had bankers and bakers and, and seamstress. They, had, then they built them into these little unions, had representation and so forth. But the thing they're most popular, known for, is this purple-reddish dye that they extracted from the matter root, and they used it to beautify uh, their clothing. And of course, we noticed last week that Lydia was from Thyatira. She was the first European convert, baptized there in the little river in, in Philippi. And so, this is a little bit about the, the city itself, okay? You know a lot about the church. You know a little bit about the city and Christ. We looked last week. I'm just kind of recapitulating, summarizing where we were last week. He said, I am the Son of God, and my eyes are like a flame of fire. In other words, I see everything. I know everything. What, what you think, Jezebel, you're doing and hiding, it, it's as if it's broadcast in the heavens for me because I see it. And then he says, my feet are like fine brass. And so he's going to judge them. So I want to talk to you, first of all, about retribution, about punishment, judgment, punitive process. Number two, I want to talk to you about this command that Jesus gives to the church. And then finally, I want us to close with some words of a promise. Uh, okay, so let's begin Number one, with this word of retribution. By the way, retribution is a fancy word that means punishment that is morally correct and it's fully deserved, all right? So verses 22 and, and 23, let, let me just, just go through this quickly because I think we, we understand what's going on here, all right? It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to go understand what's happening here. There's blatant immorality in the church. You said, I thought that was just a 20th or a 21st century creation. No, it's not. It's been going on since, since this time, even since the very embryonic nature of the nascent New Testament church. There's been corruption, there's been immorality, there's been blatant sin, gross immorality against God, against Jesus, and Jesus has taken it personally. Okay, he's taken it seriously. And I shared with you a moment ago about Jezebel and what he was doing, what she was doing, excuse me, and about her children, and Jesus said, I'm going to punish them. Some people believe. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to punish her with physical death and spiritual death until she is truly born again unless she repents. And then as far as her children, those that maybe she's seducing personally, sexually, or maybe those that she is teaching this, this heinous um, Nicolaitan, antinomian kind of doctrine. And he said, I'm going to hold you accountable. And it reminds me of a verse that Paul wrote when he said, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap in Galatians 6, 7. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30, you remember Paul said, now, if you partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, uh, some of you are going to die. You're going you're to be struck with uh, death if, if you partake in the Lord's Supper in a way that is, that is flippant, that is not praiseworthy of Christ. And then the final illustration I would give, just staying within the New Testament, is Acts chapter 5. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? You know, they, they sinned against God. And I tell you, sometimes God just, I mean, he does like what he did here. I mean, he just comes down and he judges and he snuffs out the physical lives of those who are practicing this sin. And so that, that's the retribution part. I think we get that. Are we okay? Are y'all okay if I move on to point number two? Because I, I really want to get to point number two. It is the command. And this is for those in verses uh, 24 and 25 where Jesus said, hold fast, look at verse 25, 
hold on to what you have until I come. The Greek word there is, is kratos. And, and, and it means to be strong. It's, it's an aorist imperative. It means to, I give you the command to hold on, be strong, and do not give up. Those of you that are practicing righteousness, those of you who are not tolerating that evil, you are on the right path. I want you to stay focused on me, even in the midst of such great tribulation. And he says, until I come. Now, I'm not, I don't think he's talking about until he comes in judgment in the second coming, no. I think he means just coming in the form of this punitive judgment upon this local church. The Bible says in Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, hate that which is evil, and cling to that which is good. Now, this whole idea of holding on, holding fast, you know, being tenacious. You know, come on, guys, some, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not happening in this church, praise the Lord, but it happens other places, maybe where you work or where you live. And there's a lot of, there's just a lot of sensuality, sexuality. There, there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of things that go on. And you're trying to hold on to the Lord. And you're trying to do that which is right. And it does take effort. It does take energy. It does take commitment to maintain your purity and to walk, and to walk with the Lord. Sometimes we view difficult times and temptation as something really, really bad. But sometimes God uses difficult situations, those crucible moments, those temptation moments. God uses them to build up our spiritual reserves so we can live for Him more powerfully. I was reading this, this past week about some Russian cosmonauts. The Russian cosmonauts, they sent a guy up in 1982. He spent 211 days in space, and actually it was two of them. And they came back after 211 days in space, and they just were messed up. They were dizzy. Their, their heart raced palpitations. They could not walk straight for 30 days. And, and after 30 days, they were still going, undergoing therapy for atrophied muscles because in zero gravity, your, your muscles are going to naturally atrophy unless you do something to exert them. So you're like, how do I exercise in space? And so the, the cosmonauts, they came up with this program. They created a, a penguin suit, and they sent up some guys in December 1987, and they sent him up, and he was up there for 326 days. And he came back, and he was robust. He was strong, he had no heart issues, he had no trouble walking, he was fit as a fiddle, and here's why. Here's the difference. When he was in space, they had created this elastic band that went around his feet. And every movement he made in, in space, like he was just trying to stretch out to even float over here or stretch out and go over here, every time he moved in somehow this penguin suit with all of its elasticity, it caused him, it caused him great strenuous effort and so because of that when he came back to earth he had no difficulty you know a lot of times God allows us to go through some very strenuous difficult times and it's not because we've done anything wrong it's because God is preparing us for future battles and for future victory so he says hold on he says cling be, be faithful. Tread the water, if you will. Here's some of my words. Tread water until the Lord throws you a lifeline. Keep scaling the mountain of adversity until the Lord gives you the permission to repel downward. 
be strong, hold on, be steadfast. And next, he gives some words of promise. Oh, I love these words. And, and we'll, we'll wrap up the Thyatira church here as we look at these three promises that God gives to the church at Thyatira or three blessings that he also gives uh, for us. He says, number one, look at this. He says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, he says, I'm going to give him power over the nations. In verse 24, he says, I'm going to put no other burden on you. I'm going to give you power over the nations. And then he said, I'm going to give you uh, the morning star. So the, the first one is, I'll place on you no other burden. Some of you are here today and you are burdened. And you're, you're thinking, I don't think I can take one more radiation treatment. I don't think I can undergo one more difficult temptation at work. I, I really don't know, Brother Dan. I, I just don't think that I'm going to be able to go one more. You, then, you fill, then you fill in the blank. I was listening to a testimony yesterday of one of our men in our church. I tell you, it blessed me to no end. And Josh shared his testimony of how he was facing some very prodigious time in prison. And he was like, God, I cannot do this. God, if you are the God of this Bible, if you are real, would you please help me? And in Josh's words, he said, God came and God intervened. And aren't you glad to know today that even though some of you are suffering and even though some of you are, are struggling, that God is with you. God's right in the middle of that. In fact, God is using that as an exercise regiment because he's got great plans for you. And some of you are going, okay, God, thanks. That's enough. You know, I, I, I think I'm fit enough. But God says, no, I want you to continue. And by the way, while you're in this regimen of mine, while you're in this therapy, if you will, just know this, I will not crush you. I will not put on things, no other burden will I put on you except the one that you're going through. That's a good word. I don't know who this word is for. Just like this story I'm about to tell at the end of my sermon, very impressed by the Holy Spirit to study this and share this with you, but I have no idea who this is for. Maybe it's just for me. Okay, number two. He said, I will give you power over the nations. Now, the word power there is not the word dunamis. Dunamis means explosive strong, energetic power, power to move and power to rule. But the word is exousia, and exousia has the connotation of authority. It is a divested authority, exousia. It is a power, if you will, granted to you from God to establish justice. And so he says, I'm going to give you power over the nations. But notice that Jesus says this power over the nations is going to be given to those who, number one, Nikon, who Nike, who overcome, okay? I'm in verse 26. And he who Nikon or overcomes, and he who keeps my works until the end, to that person I will give exousia, power to rule the nations. Now, I want to share with you what my translation is, is at this point, or my interpretation is a better word, of what I think is going on here. Uh, this is going to bring in what... I hold to a pre-millennial, a pre-trib kind of view of eschatology, and we've talked a lot about that, and some of you agree with that, and some of you don't agree with that, and that's, that's quite all right. But in my view, I think what Jesus is saying is this. There's coming a time when he will reign. He will reign again in his millennial kingdom here on this earth from Jerusalem. And those of us who know him and serve him, we will be divested with authority and power to rule the nations. And you say, well, 
if Jesus is on earth, why do, we have to, why do we have to rule? Why is there bad if Jesus comes again and rules on the earth? And I like the way one writer put it, John MacArthur. I, MacArthur, I don't follow him everywhere he goes, but I appreciate what he says at this point. He says, quote, Those nations in the millennial kingdom who rebel against Christ's rule and threaten his people will be destroyed. And those people who rule with him will help protect his people and promote holiness and righteousness. You know, it's interesting that verse 27 is a quote out of this priestly, kingly, powerful, messianic psalm in Psalm 2. And I think we have it on the screen. Look, look at these words. This is Psalm 2, 8 and 9, and Jesus is quoting it almost verbatim in Revelation chapter 2 in our text here in 27, 28. He said, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall, watch this. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's the same word that Jesus, that the Father used for Jesus. Now Jesus is using for us that there's coming a day where I call it there's going to be a great reversal. And I just want y'all to know, this is going to be a glorious thing. Because I know I am preaching to some people that you, like me, you, you question, you, you think sometimes, you know, really, am I, am, am, I, am I really on the winning team? I mean, it just look, I mean, it just seems like we, we don't win, you know. It just seems like we're grossly, vastly outnumbered. It seems like we're salmon and we're swimming upstream, and it's just like the, the avalanche and the roar and the world is going downstream. And if you're ever like me and in those moments of doubt and discouragement, you go, God, do you really win? I mean, do you really come through and rule? And that's why it is so vitally important that we read the Word of God and study the Word of God because things are difficult now, but when you know Jesus, things are glorious in the future. And that should be a word of encouragement to you. I know it's a word of encouragement to me. In fact, I wrote this word here. I don't have many original words, but here it goes. It says, eager anticipation of future glory with the Lord of glory will help you through some inglorious times here on earth, okay? Future reign with the Lord of glory will help us get through these inglorious, difficult times. The third one is my favorite. Jesus said, no other burden. He said, you're going to rule. Keep that in mind. And then number three, he said, I'm going to give you the morning star. Now, in my study, and my preparation, I read, and I like to read what other people say and what other people think the morning star is here. Some think it's a, it's a reference to the brightness and the happiness that God gives us because eventually we do win. We, we overcome and we reign and we rule with Christ. And because of that, we, we are blessed and, and we are happy. And I think that's a good interpretation, but I don't think that's the best interpretation. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. He is the morning star. And he is our reward. And he and he alone is worth all the trial, all the temptation, all the tribulation, all the vicissitudes of life, all the training, all the regiment, all the working out, all the difficulty, all the pain, all the suffering, as long as we keep in our mind's eye that Jesus Christ is worth it all. And if we remember that, 
He is the bright and morning star. If we remember that, if we remember when he says that I am the root and the offspring of David. This is all Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, by the way. And by the way, when you have a hard time interpreting a verse, see if that verse is found somewhere else, and it will help you hermeneutically. It will help you in your interpretation. So I firmly believe that Jesus is saying here, hang on because I am your reward. What an encouraging word. You know, when I was studying this, this message, I thought about a song, and I'm, I'm not going to sing it. Mercy, it, it's no pun intended. It's from Mercy Me. And it says, I can only, somebody help me, I can only imagine what it's going to be like to see him. You, you, you know, you, you may disagree with me and say, I'm not into that millennial thing. I think it's, it's something different. But would you not agree with me on this? That whatever it means, in the end, you are with Jesus if you love Jesus. I think all of us can agree on that. Bart Miller says, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So I'm, I'm reading this, this autobiography, and I'm, and I'm about three-fourths three of the way through it, and it's, there's a story there. And, and as I looked at that story, and, and as I thought about us as a church, and I thought about believers all over the world, Holding on, holding fast, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of compromise. God gave me this, this story of Hudson Taylor, who is the creator, if you will, of the China Inland Mission in the 1800s. And as I read the story, I, I, my heart began to be encouraged. And that's why I shared it with a friend of mine, Johnny Hunt. I, I love him, have great respect for him. And I said, Brother Johnny, I feel impressed to share this story with you. And he said, can I share this story? And I said, you, absolutely. You know, it's interesting when, and I don't want to get real overly spiritual on some of y'all. Some of y'all are about to question maybe what I'm about to say. But God speaks to his children. He impresses you. He speaks through his word, absolutely. He speaks through other people, absolutely. He speaks through circumstances, absolutely. He speaks through prayer, I get that. But he also, he, he just speaks. And when you're obedient and you obey him, you're going to be blessed and he's going to be honored. You say, well, what if, what if I think God's speaking to me and, and I do it and, it, and it, it doesn't work out? Well, maybe God wasn't speaking to you, you know what I'm saying? you got to discern and so I felt a discernment in my spirit to share that with that pastor. And I don't know how he's going to use it or how he's going to help him, but I'm mostly going to share the story with you. Hudson Taylor was training to be a medical doctor in London, England. He's a bright, brilliant young man, walked in the spirit. He did not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. And all the temptations there in London, in medical school, he was a strong, passionate follower of Christ. And in his residency, he had a patient. And the patient was a very noted atheist in London. And this atheist was mean. Not all atheists are mean, by the way. But this one was mean, he was evil, and he was intimidating. 
and he had gangrene up to his knee. And Hudson Taylor, Dr. Taylor, knew this man was going to lose his life. And other people knew it as well. So they would send Christian after Christian to go in and speak to this guy. The first Christian goes in, <laughs> and, and he's... He starts to try to witness to this guy, and that atheist turned and looked at him. He just started screaming at him, get out of my room, get out of my room. And, and man, the guy was just like, ah, he just, just freaked him out, and he ran out of the room. The next Christian came in, and, and he, he said, uh, sir, he said, I just am praying for you, and I'm burdened for you. Spit right in his face. I mean, spit in his face. And the Christian guy, he's going, whoa, he says, ah, enough of you. And so he leaves, and now it's Hudson Taylor's turn. <laughs> And I got to thinking about that. You know, we, we think these tough cases are only in Austin in 2014. These tough cases have been around forever, okay? The enemy's always had his people, and God has always had his people. So I'm sharing this message with you. Do not get discouraged. Keep on sharing your faith. Hold fast to what you know is right. Avoid that which is evil. Cling to that which is good, because God has promised a heavenly reward, he himself. So Hudson Taylor goes in. He says, I just want, I just want to be honest with y'all. I was scared to death. He said, I had no idea what I was going to say to this guy. So he said, this is what I did. For the first few times I visited him, I didn't say anything to him. I just treated his leg, and I applied medicine and my skill and my knowledge, and I ameliorated. I improved his situation, and this atheist heart began to turn to me with fondness and kindness and affection. In other words, he goes, man, I really appreciate you. Who are you? You, are, you have helped me tremendously. And so Hudson Taylor, here it comes. Y'all ready? He said, sir, how do, how do I demonstrate? I, I hadn't planned on doing this, but I, I really, I got to do this. So, Chris, let me get you to hold my jacket here, buddy. Thank you. So I'm going to be the part of the atheist, all right? And so, um, uh, Chuck, would you come up here and help me, brother? Just, just This is a tall Texan right here. It's a tall drink of water right here. Let me show you how tall. Come on up here, brother. Amen. So, amen. Good guy. Good guy. Loves the Lord. Strong witness for Christ. You are Hudson Taylor, all right? And I'm the atheist. Mm -hmm. That's scary saying that because I'm not an atheist. I love Jesus, all right? So, you're, you're the witness, all right? Okay, so you, you've treated my leg. You've helped me out. And so, I'm laying in the bed, all right? All right, I'm laying in the bed, and I'm, you, you know, we're talking, you've treated me, and you begin to talk about Jesus, and this is what the atheist did. Can y'all see me on, hey, there we are. <laughs> this, is, this is what he did. He's talking, you know, and he goes like this. I mean, literally turned his, thank you, Hudson, you did a good job. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Good job. So... He, he literally turns his back to Hudson Taylor, and Hudson Taylor goes, uh, he didn't know what to do. Have you ever been in that situation? You try to share Jesus with somebody, and you just don't know what to do. Well, here, Hudson Taylor, he left. And then he came back the next day, and he shared a little bit more with the man. And he turned his back to him. And he came back the next day. He'd treat his leg, share a little bit more about, about Christ. And then he came one day, he treated the man's leg, he didn't say anything about Jesus, and he turned to walk out the door. And the atheist was like, what's wrong? 
because this guy always treats my leg, and he always talks about his God that I don't believe in. And so the atheist is like, what's up? And then Hudson Taylor, he started to weep. Tears filled his eyes, and he began to weep profusely. And he said, oh, sir, he said, you are my friend. And you are not long here on this earth, and you're going to slip into a Christless eternity. Whether you realize this or not, you will go to hell. You have rejected Jesus Christ. You're going to go to hell. Would you allow me, please, to pray for you? Because I feel very urgent that I need to pray for you this very day. And the atheist said this. <laughs> I love this response. He said, if you think that will make you feel better, <laughs> then by all means, you can pray for me. Very condescendingly, very arrogant. But, but he allowed it. And man, Hudson Taylor got on his knees and he prayed heaven into this man. I mean, really. He prayed with such passion and with such tears and he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And he walked out the room. Three days later, that atheist gave his life to Christ. And he told Hudson Taylor his story. He said, you know, for 40 years, I have been a hard atheist and I have been vile. He said, when my wife died, I didn't even go to church then. I've never darkened the door of a church. But there was something about Taylor and his tears that broke this man. And by the way, this man, before he died, I mean, he really genuinely got saved. And he, I mean, 180, totally his life was turned around. And this is what Hudson Taylor said. And I want to close with this because I don't know who this is for. I don't, I don't, but I know when the Spirit of God oppresses me so hard that I don't really have to understand. I just got to be obedient. So Taylor writes, perhaps if there were more of that intense distress for souls that leads us to tears, we should more frequently see the results we desire. Are y'all following me? Sometimes it may be that while we are complaining of the hardness of the hearts of those we are trying to reach, the hardness of our own hearts and our own feeble apprehension of the solemn reality of eternal things may be the true cause of our want of success. End of quote. I tell you, that, that really got a hold of me. And it, you know, as I'm holding on and I'm holding fast with you and I'm going to live for Jesus until he takes me home and I'm... And I, and I pray he keeps me here in Austin, Texas until I die so that I can just plant my life here and we could see Great Hills continue to grow and be a vibrant, radiant church. But I'm telling you guys, pastoring in Austin and being a believer in Austin is not for everybody, okay? You, you got to have some strength to you, Billy. You, you with me on this? You, you got to have some steel in your backbone. You got to be the real deal, preacher. You, you got to be the real deal, and you are, and you were here for 30-plus years. But I think if, if we are going to see our church do amazing things, I think it's, Brother Fred, I think that's what it's going to take. I think it's going to take tears and passion and not giving up on people. And the hardness of our heart must be dissipated. It must be softened. And then we see just an influx of people coming to faith in Christ. So, again, I, I don't know who this message is for. I, I don't know... Um, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know the pain and the suffering and the temptation, but this much I do know. God says, in the end, if you stay faithful with me, you will win. Okay? So let me pray for you, and we'll have our invitation this morning.
with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I, I'm going to say a prayer for those of you that are here today that really need to give your lives to Christ. You need to repent and be saved. You need to be like this old, this old atheist when he finally realized, listen, these people love me. This God loves me. And I need to turn from my sin and by faith embrace Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Now listen, you, you may be a single adult. You may be a teenager. You may be an adolescent. You, you may be a, a middle-aged man in your 40s and in your 50s. You may be an elderly person. I don't know who you are or how old you are, but I do know there are some people, whether they're in this room or on that internet or on that television, they genuinely need Jesus Christ. So I'm praying for you. You would ask me, how do I, what do I need to do? How, how am I... How am I saved? What, what does that mean? Basically, it means you say, God, I've, I've made a mess of myself. I am a sinful person. And I need your cleansing. I need you to save me. And so by faith, I trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And with all that is within me, I believe in him and I trust him. And I, and I turn away from sin and I invite you, Christ, into my life. And that's what it means to be born again. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want you to call upon him even now. Would you call upon the Lord? You say, Brother Danny, I don't know how to pray. I, I, I've never prayed to God. Listen, it's not the eloquence of your tongue. It's the attitude of your heart. So you just call out to him just in the way, only way that you can. Just reach out to God and say, God, help me. God, save me. And God will. Some of you are here today, and please listen carefully. Some dear Christian saint of God you are weary and you are tired you think you're the only one who's standing for God but you're not you think you're the only one that is going to resist the temptation where you live and where you work but you're not friend you are not alone we are with you we love you we support you we want you to maintain your faithfulness. Would you not, please do not lay down your mantle of faith. Would you keep picking it up day in and day out? Oh, and I love what a brother shared yesterday, another testimony when Tom said, and God spoke to his heart and said, will you trust me this day, this day? Not about the past, not about the future, but would you trust Jesus today to help you with internet pornography? Okay? Would you trust Jesus today to help you with your marriage? Would you trust Jesus today to help you with your future decisions? You need to make not the past, not the future, but trust Jesus for today. I encourage you, my friend. I really am. Your Sitzenleben, your situation in life is very Thyatiran in its essence. You're in the midst of corruption and you're in the midst of compromise and you need to hold fast. Because there are more people than you realize who are watching you and they need you. They need you to be strong. And finally, some of you are here today and you don't know this, but there was a bunch of men. And we were praying to God earlier this morning. And we were praying, about six or seven of us, and we were calling out to God that if there's anybody in this sanctuary today that needs to make a decision for Christ, they would do so. And they would come and they would be saved or they would come and say I want to be a part of this church family so we're praying for you 
The angels of heaven are spurring you on. They're, they're with you, and, and I'm with you, and we're, we're encouraging you today to make a very significant spiritual commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to do this. I want to call upon you to do that, okay? I don't want you to leave. I do not want you to leave this place until you make that decision for Christ because you are not promised another tomorrow. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit of God, that, Lord, this message that was given 2,000 years ago, it's like it was given to us this morning. It's very fresh, Lord. It's very real. It deals with the very same things that people have dealt with through all the history of mankind. And so, Lord, today I'm praying for that, for that young lady. I'm asking you, God, to draw her to salvation today. And may this be the day. May this be the day when she's clean. She's cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of her past mistakes are washed away, and you give her a new life. Would you do that, God, even now as she prays, as she receives you as her personal Savior? Father, I pray also for those that are believers, that need to be strong, they need to stand. I ask you, God, to give them everything that they need, Lord. Give them everything they need, Lord, to be strong, not to give up, but to keep pressing forward, to keep clinging to that which is good, to keep uh, avoiding that which is evil. Let them know, God, please, in Jesus' name, let them know they are not alone. And they are on the victorious champion side. And finally, Lord, I just pray today, if there's somebody in this room, if there's somebody, Lord, on this internet or somebody on this television, God, and they just need you, to show up in a powerful way in some dimension in their life, I pray now, God, that you would do it. And finally, Jesus, I'm asking you, would you, as this dear brother Felix Daly prayed a moment ago, God, would you add to this great church? Would you send men and women and boys and girls, single adults, married adults, to come and join our ranks to be a part of Great Hills, to not be a Simeon Stylant 60 feet up in the air by himself, but to be part of a community, a part of a body of Christ. Lord, this is my prayer. I believe it. I believe that you hear us and you answer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your patience, for your listening. Thank you so much for hearing the Word of God and the message from my heart today. And I want to pray for you. I am praying for you. Even now, as Terry's going to lead us, I'm praying that God would draw you, some of you, to salvation. And whoever you are, young lady, that was for you. You need to be saved, and you need to give your life to Christ. And you need to come, and you need to let one of our counselors know. And others of you need to come and be a part of Great Hills Baptist Church. So Terry, why don't you lead us? And I'm going to keep praying for you as you come.